I can't get our post office to ring our to actually knock on the door. So I have a certified letter that's supposed to be showing up and they never deliver it because the doorbell doesn't work. And they evidently like that's the only effort they'll make yeah. is pushing the button. They won't <laughs> knock on the door. And so I, they come and go and there's like another note on the door that says that they were here. And then, yeah, it's it's it's, it's, it's terrible. It's a bad post office. Have you here. left up notes? It really is. I haven't done that yet. Yeah, that's the next step. Or fix your doorbell. <laughs> I'm actually I, I actually think I'm just going to go pick it up from the post office. That's a more reliable method of getting my mail. <laughs> I, I've recently had to resort to going to to sending my shit from Amazon specifically to the local little pickup hub where there's like little lockers and you scan your phone and, and all the rest of it. They're everywhere in Seattle. Yeah. I don't know how ubiquitous they are in Albuquerque. They're everywhere, okay. everywhere. I wasn't sure if it's a Seattle phenomenon <laughs> or not, because you, you don't live in fucking Sometimes Oz. it feels like it. I'll, I'll be described. <laughs> it's just Seattle. <laughs> well, that's a horse of another color. <laughs> anyway, I now because my fucking watches were stolen that one time recently, I'm like, well, now my se secured building is not that fucking secure, so I'm doing the lockers now. Yeah, out here, the uh, it's sort of an Easter egg hunt to find out where a package gets left, <laughs> because they, 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 it's, it's so bizarre. I mean, I found one in the middle of the driveway one time. <laughs> uh, it's it, it, like I had a box delivered. Um, I had to order a, a, a power tool for some stuff that I was working on, and it was one of those boxes that it's. Like it's the actual box that the the product comes in. Like it leaves the factory yeah. in this box, so it has a picture of it on the side and the name of what it is and all these things. You know, because I ordered yeah. this bench grinder, and so it's sitting underneath the mailbox on the street. <laughs> <laughs> Those from Amazon. I mean, oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. All right, let's do this. Let's get us in the mood. Hey friends, welcome back to my channel. Thanks for coming on over today. It is curriculum season over here on our side of the mountain, which means that I'm just spending a bunch of time reviewing and looking at and picking out curriculum that we will be using next year for our school year. And sometimes it's old publishers that we've used for years and then sometimes we go with new stuff too. So uh, this video is going to be something new that I have not used before. And it is the character study uh, curriculum that I've picked. Let me show it to you guys. This is, um, it's created by the Institute of Basic Life Principles, and they have 49 different um, character characters of Christ, and it's all biblically based. So... What we just saw in those images right after she finished speaking was an exact replica of a stock photograph if you poured mayonnaise and then removed any spice. Welcome to Wet Wired. This is premium episode 11. Bill Gothard, the Duggars, and the Advanced Training Institute. I'm Sean Andes. And I'm Julian Paul Butt. First off, I would like to thank everybody for all the support that we've received so far and all of our premium subscribers. You all are completely awesome. 
And in spite of my promises to try to speed up our production schedule, we're going to have to slow it down temporarily. That is uh, entirely our fault, but we're uh, with the middle with uh, the holidays coming up and work things and all the other obligations. We really want to push quality over quantity, so we are going to be backing off a little bit from the adding the newer episodes and the uh, faster, like we were, like I was talking about a couple of episodes ago. But they will still keep coming, even though this is the first episode that we're releasing for the month of October for the entire month. We're we're going to try to do a little bit better than that, but it'll it 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 won't quite be one a week. I'd say probably three a month is what we're going to end up averaging, at least until after the new year. Right on with us slowing down our schedule a bit for the holidays, but also we recently have slowed down our schedule in part because of my learning curve on script writing recently. I wasn't going to throw you under the bus like that. Uh, I I was going to make it a a joint responsibility, but... (laughs) (laughs) But, Hey, I got to come clean, okay? I I wrote and rewrote uh, an episode, and it just turned out to be a total fucking flop for an assortment of reasons. I am ultimately going to produce that episode, and you can look forward to it. I'll keep it a bit mysterious, but I'll let you know there are 100 ghosts involved. That will be coming out soon. I don't think it'll be in time for Halloween. It's a, a minimum of 100 ghosts. Start stock- talking to them, too. We'll find out all about that later. But not today. Who are we talking about today, Sean? This is the story of my family. We're the Duggars. That's me. I'm Michelle. There's Jim Bob, my wonderful husband, and our children. Josh is our oldest. He married Anna, and they have our first grandchildren, Mackenzie, Michael, and Marcus. Then there's Jana, John David, Jill, she married Derek, Jessa, Ginger, Joseph, Josiah, Joy Anna, Jedediah, Jeremiah, Jason, James, Justin, Jackson, Johanna, Jennifer, Jordan, and our youngest daughter, Josie. That's a grand total of 19, and I delivered every one of them. Of course, with this many kids, we do things a little differently than most families. It isn't always easy, but somehow we make it all work. Maria Bamford has a lower pitch voice than this lady. <laughs> what is with that voice? I mean, it, it just seems, what is going on there? It seems like such an affectation to speak like that. And the more that I've learned about about ATI and the and Institute and Basic Life Life Principles, this actually is kind of on the tracks. You know, this this sort of. A submissive attitude. I mean, it's it's interesting that they have her during the narration, but anyway. So for anybody who doesn't recognize that intro, that was the beginning of the show, the TLC show, 19 Kids and Counting, which featured the Duggar family and their 19 children. It started off with 17, but they they kept going. The uh and and <laughs> and the other thing is all the kids with the J names. Like every single kid in yeah. that family, from Josh all the way down to I don't know Jedediah or I don't whatever, whatever <laughs> their names are, they're all all nineteen kids start with the letter J, and then with Josh's kids, we, you know the oldest son got married and he has he has a couple of kids. Well, they all start with M, and what I found out is that the J kids are all named in honor of the father Jim Bob. And Josh's kids are all named in honor of his mother, Michelle. 
So that's they, that's why they start with all the same name, all the same letters. There were, I would believe you. Oh, no, go ahead. I would believe you. I would believe you if it started out with some kind of gematria shit again <laughs> with the with the letters. I don't think I don't think it's that complicated. Things. No, I, I think it's just I think it is very <laughs> simple. Well, Jim Bob starts with a J, so everybody's named with a letter named J. No, wouldn't it be adorable? <laughs> That's where it comes wouldn't from. Wouldn't it be sweet? Wouldn't it be adorable if all of our kids start names started with the same letter? The first two were probably, you know, a coincidence or something. But then by the third, you know, then it's all of a sudden it's like we're we're trying to fulfill some kind of destiny or something by doing this. <laughs> But a lot of people were fans of this show. The and they the family, the Duggar family themselves, they figure in very, uh, very largely into the story of Bill Gothard and the Advanced Training Institute. At, at the height of the show, it was TLC's most popular, and at one point, it averaged over three million viewers per episode. And it was not alone. TLC was making a lot of terrible shows during the 2010s. And it was absolutely notorious. Around the same time, there was Toddlers and Tiaras. And that was the show that <laughs> followed all these young kids in the, the, the preteen beauty pageant circuit. And it was also where the entire nation got introduced to Honey Boo Boo. What a, what a, what a height of American culture was the 2010s. We had the peak of emo and indie rock. And then we had Honey Boo Boo. It's a cornucopia of cultivation of the Americas. I, it was the height of the Iraq war. We were high on chasing terrorists around the world. and No, no, I believe that we, we, we already had mission accomplished in the 2010s. Yeah, but then it got bigger. <laughs> <laughs> and TLC was cranking this out, but we had all the other supposedly educational shows going coming around. We had History ha History Channel with Ancient Aliens, and uh, I don't remember any of these shows, except for maybe at that time Discovery Channel, having any kind of legitimate content that wasn't just low-rent reality TV. 19 Kids and Counting ran for about seven years on the TLC network. The show centered on you know, just like the clip begins, the daily routines and the challenges of the extremely religious Duggars, Jim, Bob and Michelle and their 19 kids. Something that makes the Duggars stand out isn't just the fact that they had so many kids, but it was their reason for having so many. This isn't, you know, a, a multiple birth story or an IVF scenario like Octomom, who had eight kids all in, you know, from from what a single pregnancy. And you can see pictures of her pregnant with these eight kids. It, it looks like she's about to have another full-size human come out of her body. That's how big her stomach was. Oh, shit. No, no Michelle Duggar, like she bragged about in the, in, the, uh, in the intro to their show, had all of those kids herself one after another. She wasn't even adopting these kids. She was very proud of that fact that she gave birth to every single one of them. They kept having children one pregnancy at a time because of some very specific Christian fundamentalist beliefs that are related to a particular Bible passage about how good it is for a young man to, quote, have a quiver full of children. The Duggars have a long-standing connection to a, Christian uh, to a Christian fundamentalist organization that advocates that exact viewpoint, called the Institute in Basic Life Principles, and its founder, Bill Gothard. 
The Duggars also homeschooled their children with materials created by another Gothard organization called the Advanced Training Institute or the Advanced Training Institute International. It was a wonderful time this year at the ATI conference. My little, little guys enjoy being a part of the little children's program. They teach them character qualities and little songs and do little arts and crafts. We decided that we wanted to use the ATI curriculum because it really focuses on character and building um, golly character into our lives. What Bill Gothard taught, and essentially what the Duggars believe, is that God will decide how many kids you should have. You know, so the show was originally called 17 Kids and Counting and then 18 Kids and Counting because God wasn't quite finished with the Duggars yet. That idea of having God decide how many kids you're supposed to have sounds eerily similar to some of the routines that you see in Appalachia amongst certain uh, certain uh, sects of Christianity where they'll take snakes and fuck around with them. And if they don't get bit and or if they don't die, then God willed it. But if they got bit, then it was God's will. And yeah, yeah, really, really having sex is similar to a snake bite for, for the Duggars. <laughs> More snake handling. <laughs> There's another ideologically connected Christian org called Quiverful. The Duggars have denied in the past any association with that group. But it doesn't really matter if they're directly associated because Quiverful also cites their, their motivation as the exact same Bible passage about a quiver full of children. Well, that's because they were, they were living on the land. You need lots of dead kids because you're going you're gonna to go right through so many of them. Why do you need dead kids? What, for fertilizer? Oh, I'm sorry. Not dead kids. You're going to have lots of dead kids. So you need a lot of kids because a lot of them are going to be dead. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> the, 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 the reasons historically for having a lot of children are, are just not there anymore, though. So people adhering to this kind of these archaic, you know, these archaic messages from the Bible are doing so for another reason. They're not they don't have the same they don't have the same social pressures. They don't have the same environmental pressures. The the infant mortality rate is nothing compared to what it was when these Old Testament passages were written. So the, the reasons just don't exist anymore. All of those all of those things were written because they were good ideas at the time. But they also didn't need to be written because everybody fucking knew they were good ideas at the time. Everybody knew everybody's kids were dying. <laughs> everybody knew how many kids had died. Everybody grew up and had, had four or five dead siblings that, that didn't make it to adulthood. These passages might have been throwaway passages. It, this was just filler. This was just this was just stuff that ended up in the book for no good reason because at that point anything that was written down ended up in that book. It, I mean, it's just a hodgepodge of stuff. If anyone out there is a big fan of the Duggar family and there are a lot of them, you should see the comments on underneath these YouTube clips of the of the the old 19 kids and counting show. There are so many Oh my God, how much I miss, I miss the Duggars so much. They were such an inspiration in my life. So many things like that. But if any of you listening are fans, I have some bad news for you. And we are sorry to say that things are not going well. In April 2021, Josh Duggar, the oldest Duggar child, was arrested. The one with all the, the kids with the M names was arrested by U.S. Marshals and charged with receiving and possessing child pornography. 
Prosecutors also allege that Josh installed a Linux partition on his computer to circumvent internet activity monitoring software. There was a lot of focus on the monitoring software and the fact that he went out of his way to install to try to circumvent it. But it also turned out during the trial that the monitoring software installed on his laptop was put there by his wife. It wasn't like an employer or something like that. At the time, he was working as a used as a as a used car salesman, and it was his computer. So she obviously thought that he was up to something. In May 2022, Josh Duggar was found guilty on all charges and sentenced to 12 and a half years in prison, followed by 20 years of supervised release. And when he gets out, he's going to have to register as a sex offender. Wow. Unfortunately, this wasn't the first time that Josh Duggar made headlines for a sex-related crime. 15 successful seasons for the Duggar family's reality show, 19 Kids and Counting. But the secret is out. Josh Duggar, now 27, and the oldest of the children on the TLC show, had sexually abused several girls when he was a teenager, and his parents didn't report it for some time. In Touch magazine broke the story. It was a total of five victims, and the ages, uh, you know, if, if you do the math, the ages range probably between 5 and 12 years old. In Touch magazine obtained the 2006 police report. The magazine reports that Josh Duggar was investigated for multiple sex offenses, including some that were felonies. In Touch found that Jim Bob Duggar, Josh's father, told police he was made aware of it in 2002, when a girl complained Josh, then 14, had been touching her breasts and genitals while she slept. Instead of alerting authorities, though, the magazine says Jim Bob told police Josh had been disciplined. Then it reportedly happened again in 2003. So in 2015, when Josh Duggar was 27 years old, he publicly apologized for molesting the five girls, four of whom were his sisters when he was a teenager. The fifth girl was possibly a babysitter for the younger Duggar children. This is from CBS News. Since 2008, the series, TLC's most watched, averaging 3.2 million viewers, had chronicled the family life of Arkansas couple Jim Bob and Michelle Duggar and their children, now numbering 19. It was pulled from the network in May when reports surfaced that 27-year-old Josh Duggar, the oldest child, had fondled four of his sisters and a babysitter a dozen years earlier when he was a teen and, and a babysitter a dozen years earlier when he was a teenager. He has never been arrested or charged in connection with the molestations. Josh Duggar apologized for unspecified actions on a Facebook post and resigned from the Family Research Council, a conservative Christian group where he had worked as a lobbyist. Yes, you heard that exactly correctly. When he made this apology, at the time he made the apology, he was employed as the executive director of FRC Action, which is the political action and lobbying arm of the Family Research Council. So that's a little bit more than just being a lobbyist. He was the executive director of FRC Action. So you remember FRC, Jules. It's the one that's headed by the professional hater of gays and friend of white supremacist, Tony Perkins. Oh, yeah. Tony the Psycho Perkins. <laughs> well, that's his wrestling name. We don't always call him that. We, we, uh, we talked about Tony Perkins a few episodes back when I, in our Christian nationalism episode. So back to CBS. Two weeks later, the Duggar parents were interviewed on Fox News Channel, as were Jill and Jessa Duggar, who said they were who said they weren't aware the fondling had happened until Josh confessed years later and their parents told them about it. 
The show had ended its 10th season when the scandal broke. Hulu quickly pulled Hulu quickly pulled it from its offerings. TLC is partnering with Darkness to Light, whose mission is providing interested parties with techniques for protecting children from sexual abuse. And Rain, spelled R-A-I-N-N, Rape Abused and Incest National Network, which describes itself as the, nation, as the nation's largest anti-sexual violence organization. At the time of the public revelation about the molestation, the family rallied around Josh and tried to limit the fallout. Josh Duggar's sister, Jessa Seawald, had this to say. He was a young boy in puberty and a little too curious about girls. And that got him into some trouble. Such a, such a mild reaction to... I don't know if she was one of the sisters that was abused by him, but even if she wasn't, that's a pretty mild reaction if, she, if, if it was her sister that was molested. And on top of it, a little too curious about girls is a euphemism that it, it's taking something that is really serious and, and making it into some sort of uh, uh, boyhood curiosity. Boys will be boys, right? Another of Josh's sisters, Jill Dillard, said, We've never claimed to be a perfect family. We are just a family. <laughs> That's what you say when your family maybe gets into arguments sometimes. It's like, your, little, has, your little brother got mad because somebody won it, Somebody else wanted shoots and ladders and he'd knocked the board off the table. <laughs> <laughs> Knowledge about Josh Duggar's predatory behavior seems like it might have been an open secret, at least among television producers during those years. Apparently, the Duggars were scheduled for an appearance on Oprah at about that time, but the booking was abruptly canceled due to some rumors that were going around. Basically, the context of the rumors is, or, you know, the, the, the gist of the rumors is that you don't want to touch these people. Like, some shit's going to come out, so you better not be, you better not have them on your show. They're fucking radioactive. Well, not yet. It was more like nothing had happened yet. Nothing had come out, but the rumors were there. So that means that like TV, that like the production crew from T from the show over at TLC, they knew what was going on. They knew some of the behind the scenes shit, but it was not public knowledge. So the, you know, and of course they'd done their background research. No, no, no. This is not background. That's my point is that none of this was available for research. This is the kind of stuff that's like, you know, one producer of a show knows another pr a producer of another show. And they're like, hey, hey, I know oh. I know you just scheduled them, but you should cancel that, you know, because, oh, like, yeah, they, they, there's some shit that's going to happen. This is going to be a hot potato. So that raises some additional questions that were discussed in a Gawker article in 2015 about, about exactly how long Jim Bob and Michelle Duggar had known about their son Josh's actions from when he was a teenager. And the possibility that they had even helped cover it up so that Josh wouldn't face charges. Reading a Springdale police report filed in 2006 and released in, by In Touch yesterday, it seems clear Jim Bob and Michelle knew about Josh's misconduct from the beginning and helped him avoid prosecution. But they weren't the only ones who knew of Josh's predation. So did Oprah Winfrey, her producers the Springdale Police Department, and apparently a huge community of message board pro posters online. All of which raises the question, when did Discovery Communications, the corporate parent of Discovery Health and TLC, which has profited off of every Duggar birth, courtship, and marriage announcement, find out? 
money could have also been a huge motive, not just for TLC and Discovery Communications, but for the Duggars themselves. Before their show was canceled in 2015, the network was paying the Duggars an estimated $45,000 per episode. And according to branding expert David Johnson, when he was interviewed by Life and Style magazine around that time period, losing that show could have easily cost the Duggars $25 million a year in endorsements and speaking fees. Because they weren't the Duggars weren't just doing this show. They were they, they had built an entire brand about this, and their popularity wasn't it wasn't just about being on the television. They were huge in this Christian fundamentalist speaking circuit. So they were, I mean, these, these people, they were superstars in this world. They would go to these mega churches and be a guest and get paid an exorbitant amount of money just to show up on stage with whatever preacher because all of their fame and from the TLC show brought all this, this cachet, you know, since on that show, they were openly uh, evangelical. We should also note that back when Josh Duggar was a teenager – so this is, you know, this is going back to the actual time that those events occurred, not when he confessed to them. He never received any professional counseling. You know, since the family had covered it up and managed to to keep, somehow keep it away from keep him away from the police in, uh, entirely. Well, at least the 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 police that the keeping him away from getting charged by the police entirely. He also not never got any help. And if he did get any counseling, it would have been in this in the context of their religious faith, a lot of which was informed, again, back to Bill Gothard, by Bill Gothard himself, who was directly acquainted with the Duggars, and the materials available through the Institute in Basic Life Principles and ATI. So instead, the family turned Josh over to a local police officer, not for prosecution or criminal charges. But because this was a family friend who was also a follower of Bill Gothard and also somebody who attended Institute and Basic Life Principles seminars. And it turns out that that officer, whose name was Joseph Hutchins, was himself later convicted for possessing child pornography and is now serving 50 years. He's now in the middle of a 56 year sentence in prison. I, I don't know what the statistics would be. I don't even know how you would measure that. But in my mind, there's some kind of a high correlation with with these kinds of extremely authoritarian beliefs and sexual repression and finding and finding out that we have a high level of abuse sexual or otherwise i think it would be really hard to find out what those numbers would actually be that's that's a feature of this whole thing that we're kind of we're kind of like poking around in right now is that they don't trust secular authority on these issues so it's just you can you can you can be super cynical and probably not completely wrong and think that money had something to do with the with Jim Bob and Michelle Duggar's decision to not turn Josh over to the cops and report the the actual crime that occurred inside their house right under their nose and like I said you'd probably not be wrong <laughs> but there's more to it than that and that that part is that because of this 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 belief system that they're subscribing to they don't trust the secular authorities to actually do something that's going to be beneficial for the situation they they see this entire secular world as ungodly and there's kind of two sides of it one it's going to do more damage with all you know bringing in all of its secularism which is really tantamount to devil worship as far as they're concerned 
because if you if you're not part of God's kingdom, then you're against it essentially. And they also don't believe that the secular world has any authority over them, really. They really feel like that the only thing that matters to them is God's law as it's described or interpreted through the people who are reading it in the books. They're, they don't have any reason whatsoever to talk to a therapist or the cops about something. You know, they don't have they don't care so much about laws or treatment or, you know, and things like that. And they don't view it. It's my speculation that they don't view themselves as part of the broader community. They view themselves as part of their community, which is self-regulating as such. So they allegedly, regulate. at least. <laughs> I mean, evidently not. Just a few months after Josh's public apology on Facebook, he apologized publicly again, but this time directly to his wife. And this time it was for cheating on her and also for having what he describes as a, quote, pornography addiction. Most likely he would have never made this second apology, except that it turned out Josh Duggar had been trolling for women on AshleyMadison.com. And everybody can recall that Ashley Madison, which was the cheater's hookup site, was hacked and its entire user database, including names and email addresses, was published. So I'm, I'm assuming that Josh probably figured it was just a matter of time before he was outed and he should just get in front of this one, which is, <laughs> I mean, all of these decisions are, you know, these, these are the things that are, these are decisions that are, 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 you know, these are public, uh, positions that are, that are created in a boardroom, like with a PR consultant, all, that's all of this stuff. They're, they're, this sounds like, th this isn't how human beings behave. This is how celebrities behave. It's exactly what I would expect from a politician who has a full team. At the time, Josh checked himself into some sort of rehab center because of the molesting, infidelity, and porn addiction, but neither he nor his family would say what kind of treatment center it was or where it was located. This reminds me of David Duchovny. He supposedly had some kind of a sex addiction, and I don't know what to say other than I don't buy it. The porn addiction idea, the sex addiction idea... You can have compulsive behaviors for sure, but DSM-5 does not recognize porn addiction or sex addiction as legitimate thing. Not that the DSM-5 is necessarily the holy grail of what we should consider when it comes to whether something's real or not, but I can certainly say that I just don't fucking believe that uh, he had some kind of an addiction that's leading him to do these behaviors. I think that there are a number of other social and possibly other factors that are going on here, and calling it an addiction is an out. Yeah, it's a way for it to dodge responsibility. Obviously, all these things that happened to Josh Duggar's victims, which include his sisters, the childhood babysitter, all the children whose images were being trafficked between one pedophile and another, all of that is absolutely tragic. But after looking at his actions and his crimes in the context of his upbringing, it is clear that, yes, he is responsible, but the person that he became didn't just grow up in a vacuum. The Duggars, as followers of this Christian fundamentalist educator, Bill Gothard, they, of course, don't advocate child molestation because who would openly do that? The NAMBLA or something like that, maybe? <laughs> 
or the Libertarian Party. I, I'm not sure where they're at these days. People people might like turn a blind eye to it, but nobody really advocates it, obviously. But but Bill Gothard and his organizations, the Institute in Basic Life Principles, which I'm going to just call IBLP from now on, and the Advanced Training Institute, ATI, they at the very least enable it. And their practices can encourage keeping any incidences absolutely private for exactly the reasons that we were just talking about. You know, the question of, 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 of authority, which we'll get into pretty quickly here. And the and then the the danger of just exposing your family and your your the inner workings of your family to the secular world. They don't trust the secular world. They they feel like the the secular world is I, I don't know totally reasonably thinks they're crazy most of the time. But they don't know who likes to be called crazy all the time. So instead of changing your worldview and you know maybe abandoning some of your your Iron Age beliefs. Instead, you're going to just close ranks and keep to yourselves and to and you know, only associate with like-minded people. It's a lot easier to live your life when you're not getting challenged all the time. This comes from a textbook, Cult 101 Playbook, where you have the insulation for Jules just used the C word. Of, well, it's relevant here, where in I, I okay, <laughs> where in places that have. A, a serious indoctrination that we might, you know, all the usual things that we associate with the term cult. We have, as part of the playbook, playbook, a insulation from the outside world, an alienation of the outside world, and then a sort of self-fulfilling prophecy that the outside world is alienating them. So that whenever they encounter the outside world, they have all of the right things ready to go in their mentation to resolve the the contradictions between what they've been taught and what they are believing and what they're seeing and reality as they encounter it. Some of them figuring out what exactly happened to them and just how wrong it was. So professional therapy would have been frowned upon, even taboo under this program. So do you think that the victims and his, the sisters and even Josh, would, would they have received the proper counseling now? Ab uh, absolutely not. Um, within the ATI program, uh, professional counseling is, is definitely looked upon with a lot of skepticism. If they got counseling, it would have been through the ATI program, through Gothard. They might have called the headquarters of the program in Chicago. They might even talk to Bill Gothard himself. Um, but any kind of counseling that he would have given them would not have been professional. He's not a licensed professional counselor yeah. um, and would have been based on what I believe are some wacky ideas uh, of sex abuse, the body and all that. I worked for 15 years with abused kids and yeah. almost to a T or almost to a hundred percent, every single one of them was, had been sexually abused by somebody in their household and, or a neighbor or a neighbor kid, a neighbor adult, an uncle, somebody like that. Some, some, some familiar person. Never, it's never a stranger. I mean, all, all that shit about stranger danger and everything like that, that is just some nonsense. It is, that is never what happens. The, what, what almost always happens is the abuse occurs from somebody who allegedly you should be able to trust as a child, some older child or the, you know, a, a parent or close relative. A lot of those kids went on to abuse younger siblings or younger close relations. It 
so when I think about this Josh Duggar situation and I think like, oh, okay, you know, here he is, 14 years old, something like that, 15 years old at the time that these events occurred in his house. I'm think I, I think to myself, well, what happened to him when he was seven years old? Yeah. That's that's what I think because it is just it's not impossible, but it is quite uncommon for for that kind of thing to just happen out of nowhere. Almost every kid that that I worked with that abused another child, a younger like a younger sibling or neighbor or whatever, had had something happen to them when they were younger. Almost every single one of them. And in fact, I'm having a hard time thinking of one that did not have his, have his or her own history of having been abused before they in turn abused somebody else. There's a high degree of correlation between between these things. It almost doesn't happen any other way. Yeah, the temperature was in the 60s, and then last week it said, nope, and dropped 15 degrees. Yeah, it's actually going to freeze tonight for the first time this year. So all that, all our garden is gone tomorrow morning. Oh, that's all right. We got a lot of tomatoes this year. I didn't tell you. So I had some people over the other night, and, you know, Cena and I had some people over for dinner, and we were yeah. just outside wandering around, you know, showing them the property and everything. and. One of our one of our friends saw a duck walking down the street. <laughs> okay, just a duck, a, like a white domestic duck, walking down the road. <laughs> so we, you know, we went and got it because you know it's not safe for a duck to be out there, and it probably belongs to somebody. And we, uh, so we brought it in and we kept it for the night. And yeah, it was just it was it was funny getting the dogs acclimated to it, which happened pretty quickly. To be honest, I was surprised at how fast it worked. You know, the uh, for the dogs to get used to the duck, they yeah, they. I mean, the our big dog didn't care at all. You know, Lola couldn't be bothered by it. It didn't even matter to her. the the little <laughs> The little dog was a little bit kind of sketchier around it, but I think he sort was sort of apprehensive. I think he was afraid of it more than he was aggressive toward it. You know, like he, he was like, wasn't sure about it. And the, uh, but it was like, it was a young duck. And anyway, we have some neighbors that have a bunch of livestock. And so we brought it over to them yesterday and it spent the night in, in, in uh, like in a coop next to their chickens, not with them, but next to them. Cause the chicken, sure. the chickens would have just pecked the hell out of it. Yeah. But yeah. So just this random duck. <laughs> I mean, but but I'm a, I'm I'm picturing a white duck with a yellow bill. Exactly. Yeah. But the so you know the neighbors put the feelers out to everybody else, and it turns out it did belong to somebody, and they came over and picked it up. It was only six months old. The uh, so it was crazy. It, it was like half grown basically, and I guess they they I, they had a few that got away, but the other two have not turned up. So yeah, coyotes probably got them last night. The uh, oh, yeah, yeah, that's most likely what happened. Or the first night. I mean, maybe somebody else found him and and took him in. But I mean, this thing was like it was exhausted, and you know, it it, it turns out that it got away from their house. It probably walked because you know they can't fly. The domestic ones, ducks. The domestic ones really? cannot fly. Yeah. So 
it got out from their house and probably walked oh, about a quarter of a mile or so before it got to our house. And that's a lot of walking on two little webbed feet. <laughs> so it, it was it was tired. I've walked in flippers. I know how hard that shit is. <laughs> I don't think it's the same thing. <laughs> so now we're going to move on to a little bit of backstory about Bill Gothard and IBLP and ATI. Bill Gothard, the founder of both ATI and the Institute in Basic Life Principles, was born on November 2nd, 1934. He was raised in the church, and his father worked for various ministries while young Bill was growing up. At the age of 15, Gothard, according to the IBLP website, was greatly concerned for many of his high school classmates who seemed to lack direction in life and were making unwise decisions. Realizing that they would have to live with the consequences of these decisions, he dedicated his life to helping teenagers and their parents make wise choices. At the at the ripe old age of 15. Right, already at the age of 15, Bill Gothard is definitely the hall monitor. He's the one he's the one checking for bathroom passes in the hallway at the high school. You're not supposed to do that, okay? He began working with inner city gangs in Chicago, church youth groups, high school clubs, youth camps, and families in crisis. <laughs> what it Right, exactly. I mean, how old is he and he's working with families in crisis? And who's allowing him into these areas to be able to 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 do this what is he fucking michelle pfeiffer in dangerous minds <laughs> i totally forgot about that movie <laughs> i mean how does this work i mean inner, he's working with inner city gangs at the age of 15 years old after 15 years of working with young people bill wrote his master's thesis on a youth program that eventually led to seven biblical principles of life which when followed lead to harmonious relationships with God and others. He was then invited to design and teach a course at Wheaton College based on his experiences working with young people. This course was given the name Basic Youth Conflicts. Gothard developed the Basic Youth Conflicts course directly into the Institute of Basic Youth Conflicts. Then that lit was later renamed as the Institute in Basic Life Principles. So there's a, there's a, there's a steady flow from one, from one organization to the next. And this seven life principles was directly brought into the IBLP program. After unsuccessfully trying to develop a boarding school, in 1984, Gothard created a Christian homeschooling program called the Advanced Training Institute, or ATII, which would be the Advanced Training Institute International. Something I learned along the way researching Bill Gothard is that he absolutely hated hippies. <laughs> and, but he really hey, did. You know what? If there's one thing that Bill Gothard and I agree on, it's the fucking hippies. <laughs> well, I mean, this is this is kind of a different thing, though, that during a time in the 60s when there was all this unrest and protests against the war in Vietnam and general just discontentment and dissatisfaction with the with the, the values of the society that they were growing up into. Instead of being one of those people that was dissatisfied with with the the with the society that they, that they were going to enter into as an adult, Gothard decided that the reason that all those people were protesting wasn't because they had legitimate grievances. It was because there was a lack of authority. Scriptural standards will be understood, and that's what we want to be able to have: standards in music, standards in our daily 
life, standards in, in all these areas. A keystone for the Institute in Basic Life Principles is what they call the umbrella of protection. An umbrella. So an umbrella is, <laughs> is something that really comes in handy when the weather is bad. So this umbrella represents the authority of God. It represents all of us who go Gabriel or Gabriella. God always works with authority. Now, how dumb do I look if it's raining and I'm like this? Whenever I get out from under the authority of God, I get hammered by hell, H-E-L-L, pelted by problems and drenched in dysfunction. Yet, when I come under the authority of God, whoa, I go to a holy another level. So here is the phrase that pays. Here is the tweet of my talk. Here's what I want you to get and to use, because you got it, now use it, all right? We need to get under those things God has put over us so we can get over those things God has put under us. I don't think, wait a minute, I don't think you understood me. We need to get under those things God has put over us so we can get over those things God has put under us, yet for far too long, we have no idea what should be under us because we've never gotten under the authority of God. Prop comedians were bad in the 90s when we had fucking Carrot Top and Gallagher, and it's still bad. This guy's dancing around the stage with a fucking umbrella. And you know what, dude, just just use a fucking Prezi or or you can you can do a slide presentation. It's fine. You don't need a fucking umbrella. We we got it after the first part of the metaphor. I don't think God you is got umbrella. It. I don't I don't I don't think you got it. <laughs> I, I think you're 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 still you're still under the things that you should be over and and next to the things that should be under you. And you know what? Uh, what if I don't have an umbrella? Okay, bud. <laughs> well, that's exactly the point is that you always have the umbrella of protection that God provides us. IBLP teaches that God is the ultimate umbrella of protection over all people. He rules over the universe and gather. He rules over the universe and governs in the affairs of nations. Under the overarching umbrella of his protection, God has established significant jurisdictional structures which are all of my favorite structures, as you know, Sean. Family, husbands and parents, government leaders, church leaders, elders and other believers, and employers. <laughs> I mean, this is my top four. This is, this is my best, hit, best hits of things that I love. <laughs> right, employers, the godliest of Jesus' disciples. <laughs> <laughs> This the the orientation. So the first off, the family one, husbands and parents. This has everything to do with how with the role that uh, that women find themselves in inside these organizations. So if you were unlucky enough to be a woman and born into an IBLP family or to marry in for into one, I mean, I, I don't know. In that situation, I guess it's it's your own fault. Like you should know better. But 
what unfortunately women find themselves in the worst position of all of everybody else as as a girl is growing up she's under she be she falls under according to IBLP rules she falls under the authority of her father and she stays under the authority of her father until she gets married at which point her authority like she falls under the authority of her husband she's always under somebody's authority whereas you know a boy is yeah he's under the authority of his parents but once he becomes an adult and gets you know moves out of the house and gets married and you're not really supposed to move out of the house until you get married then he becomes the authority of his own household but the girls they they're always under somebody else's thumb and this is this comes back to Michelle Duggar in that pro, in that in, uh in the credit opening credits clip from 19 kids and counting and that ridiculously high pitched voice i've i've heard people with high pitched voices before with the natural high pitched voices, that does not strike me as, as as being a natural voice. This is somebody who is directly who is taken on this subservient role, and the way that she does that is by, I mean, it's so boorish to psychoanalyze people. But nevertheless, it does sound like a vocal affectation that is part of the patriarchal structure. Yeah, it just seems to me like somebody who has never really been allowed to grow up. So she still has the, her young girl voice, even though she's in her 50s now. She still talks like she's 11 because that's what was expected of her. That's my guess, at least. You know, like I said, it's it's really boring to psychoanalyze people. I, I got I got the chance to to listen to a podcast recently that uh, was interviewing somebody who has their own podcast. Um, they were interviewing Jessica Goforth about IBLP and she was talking about her experiences in it and throughout each iteration and she's no longer in it of course and she she's talked about deconstruction and uh I'll I'll mention the name of the podcast in a minute when I when I bring it up but uh she, one thing one thing about all of the the anecdotes that she was telling about her experience in IBLP was how it sounded to me as she's describing it it sounded like a prison i mean the 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 amount of regimentation that is in these groups is not too dissimilar from what we find in these other institutions in our lives that are equally as repressive and I think that you get obvious results. That, that's that's what another another aspect of Bill Gothard is that even though he has no military background himself, he has a very strong affinity for military organization, and he he seems to be entirely wrapped up in just the rules as an abstract construct. Everything is about the rules. There's a, there's a hierarchy for everything, and that's the only way that. We have any kind of, you know, that we can maintain any kind of order is if there's a rigid hierarchy that every where everybody falls into their own tier. And of course, when you're creating an organization that's all about hierarchy, you magically end up at the top of this heap. It's not like somebody creates a hierarchical organization and then puts them inserts themselves into the middle. You know, the people who <laughs> the people who always love this shit the most are the ones that imagine themselves at the top of it. And so when he comes up with family, government leaders, church leaders, elders and other believers, employers, 
he's seeing himself up at the top of this group. And you, know, you can see these diagrams that, that came out of IBLP, these umbrella diagrams where literally it is an umbrella. And up on top, you have, you know, the umbrella has a label on it that just reads, you know, that just reads God's protection. And then underneath it, directly underneath it, is going to be the, the leaders of the church, which is why when, when Josh Duggar confessed to these, uh, the, to molesting his sisters when he was a teenager, he didn't get turned over to the authorities, to the government. He got turned over to the church. He got, and, and even though Bill Gothard is not himself a minister or anything like that, he's, he's almost positioned himself above the ministers with this organization, with these organizations that he's created over the years, because he's created these programs that are, they're not, they're not part of the church structure. He's never pursued any kind of like, you know, any kind of role as a pastor or anything like that. Instead, he kind of, he has created this, this, this other, this other organization to the side of the churches, but churches send their people to his seminars. So it's, it basically it functions as a, an entirely separate organization. IBLP advocates a view that rebellion to a, against authority is similar to witchcraft because those who participate in witchcraft directly interact with destructive satanic influences. Rebellion is similar because through disobedience, you remove yourself from God's full protection and are therefore more susceptible to the attacks of Satan. So you're not under the umbrella anymore. Exactly. You, if you rebel against authority, then against the authority of your parents, for example, then you step out of this entire umbrella of protection. So what is this doing to a kid? You know, imagine, imagine how this message is received by a kid. If you don't listen to your parents' authority, sometimes parents are terrible. Sometimes they don't explain things. Sometimes their instructions don't make any sense. And you can have absolutely awful parents. All of this structure assumes that everybody above you is going to be acting in good faith. And you don't know that they're acting in good faith as a kid. You have no idea if they are. You can lose trust in your parents. Yeah, and and at, at, at that point, the rules come in to keep you in line as far as IBLP is concerned. So the message that you get is that if you don't listen to your parents, it's the same thing as if you don't listen to the church leader. It's the same thing if you don't listen to your boss. It's the same thing if you don't listen to the government leaders, and if you and it's the same thing as if you don't listen to God. You may as well spit in God's face if you don't want to listen to your parents. If you ignore your parents' instructions, you're stepping outside of that umbrella of protection, which means you don't get God's protection either. <laughs> no, it is absolutely <laughs> fucked up. It's totally insane. I, I laugh because it's it's so out of my reality in terms of how I understand the world to be. So just, I mean, just go back to Josh Duggar and say, yeah, he did this heinous, terrible shit to his sisters. All right. But who knows where that came from? First off, you know, if it came from just him and he just has like some kind of like broken wires in his brain that allowed this to happen, he got no help whatsoever as a child. He got no help doing, you know, after doing what he did. His sisters, who were the victims of, of his molestation, they got no help. And it's all because everything is supposed to go through the proper channels. If you step outside of those channels, this umbrella of protection, then 
everything goes to shit. And that even would include all of the gaslighting that would necessarily have to be involved by the people who are participants in this, where they're just, they're not only gaslighting other people, but they're gaslighting themselves, where you're the victim of, of something in this organization, and you are thinking that to go against the person who is higher up in the hierarchy would be tantamount to stepping outside of this umbrella. The whole thing. Yep. The whole thing crumbles underneath you the second that you break out of line. Yeah. So if you if you get fed some shit that you know is just garbage, then you know if, if you question it, then even even to yourself, let alone openly, then God won't protect you anymore because you're questioning the authority above you, and then yada 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 the whole thing. ATI closed down its operations. Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In 2021. But according to their website, as it was before they shut down, their mission was to see life from God's perspective. I mean, how the fuck would that work? How would you see life from God's perspective? How could you possibly do that? that? I thought that Metatron was the whole fucking point that you couldn't. How could you possibly understand the perspective? I mean, if you believe that there's just some omniscient, omnipotent being that's just, you know, pulling levers and spinning dials behind the scenes running the whole fucking universe, how could you possibly understand what it is to see life from that being's perspective? Listen, Sean, I've listened I've listened to enough Joe Rogan to know that the way to tap into God consciousness is mushrooms. Oh no, no, no. It's DMT. <laughs> God damn it. I still got it wrong. <laughs> Keep going. ATI training begins with scripture and combines valuable academic information with character training and biblical life principles. Each wisdom booklet is a unit study that amplifies a section of Christ's Sermon on the Mount through practical instruction in linguistics, history, science, law, and medicine. That is the claim. I mean, it didn't they when did VeggieTales come out? VeggieTales sounds like a watered-down vo- version of this. <laughs> So these must be the Israelites. Yep. ATI's original curriculum was first developed in 1984 by Bill Gothard, Dr. Larry Guthrie, and Inga Cannon. The curriculum is broken up into a series of what they call wisdom booklets. Even though ATI shut down, the wisdom booklets are still available on the IBLP website. Larry Guthrie is an interesting guy. I I looked up both of those people. So Dr. Larry Guthrie... I'll give him his title. He was a high school teacher for a while, and then he taught at a small school, I think in Indiana, at the college level. But he was let go because he basically he just wasn't publishing enough. He wasn't doing enough enough work outside of the uh, outside of just teaching. I don't have much to say about that other than without knowing the specifics of his classroom behavior and how he how just how he ran things. Maybe that was just an excuse to let him go because he was a weirdo, or maybe the school was really regimented and focused a lot on the kind of like the publisher parish mentality. I I I have mixed feelings about the idea that a that a, even an, an associate professor professor should be required to continue publishing things that you know somehow teaching isn't enough that they they have to keep publishing. 
I think they, they should demonstrate that they're still reading, that they're still paying attention to other people's work, maybe, but not, I, I don't know about publishing your, you know, being forced to continue producing work. I think, I think it creates a scenario in academia where a lot of really shitty scholarship is pushed out there just because people want to keep their jobs. And, you know, a lot, a lot of work is done that does not need to be done by anybody because it's pointless just so that they can they can show some publishing credits and in some obscure journals that basically nobody outside of their field will ever see it's it's buzzfeed but academia style right exactly it is just content you just have to content, pump out content. that content yeah and I, I don't i don't know i have mixed feelings i'm not going to defend dr larry guthrie he is an admitted uh at least accidental arsonist uh i did find that <laughs> out as well he he accidentally burned down his neighbor's house that at some point in the I think the early two thousands. It was when he was stepping out of the umbrella for a second. Right, exactly. Well, I think the neighbor stepped outside the umbrella of protection is what happened. <laughs> Inga Cannon, she was uh, she was also a, uh, an educator, and she ended up uh, like through her career ended up. We're uh, working as a as an uh, as a principal for a while for uh, for an elementary school, and then she was the dean of a Christian day school. Basically, everybody on this team, you know, this core team of three, you know, Bill Gothard, Dr. Larry Guthrie, and Inga Cannon, they were like Larry Guthrie and Inga Cannon were were very well qualified to produce a curriculum. The only one that really, you know, it's sort of one of these things doesn't look like the others. The only one that didn't belong producing a school curriculum was Bill Gothard, whose program <laughs> it was actually, you know, who actually de- developed the program and, you know, had the inspiration for it. He had wisdom since 15 years old, Sean. That's what we're supposed to believe. Each of these wisdom books follows a particular theme that's pulled from, you know, like the, the description says, from the gospel story of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. So, for example, the theme of wisdom book number one is... Quote, God sees differently than we see. This comes from Wisdom Book One. The section is called, Why Are There Different Languages? <laughs> why, Jules? Tell us why. I, I know, I know, I know. After the flood, Noah and his family began to repopulate the earth. All their descendants spoke the same language. Rather than spreading throughout the world, they stayed in one area and laid the foundations for a highly developed city, later, later known as Babylon. Godless humanism, with its practice of astrology, became the (laughs) motivating force of this system. They can't help themselves. Godless humanism. (laughs) First off, nobody in the ancient world at any point used the term humanism or saw themselves as practicing anything resembling humanism. That was not a thing. The people decided to use their great intellectual abilities to build a huge tower that would reach up into heaven, reach unto the heaven. Some scholars think their actual purpose was to design an observatory from which to examine the heavens for evil purposes. And if we ask Rael, we know it's a rocket ship. I have to keep jumping in here. Some scholars. First off, that's like, you know, I heard some people saying at one point that you know, they were really trying to design an observatory from which to examine the heavens for evil purposes. What the hell does examining the heavens, what what evil purposes are a going lot of, to be A advanced? lot of people are saying, Sean, a lot of people are saying. We love, the, we love the Tower of Babel, don't we, folks? We love it. 
It's it's great tower. It's very it, nice, it's isn't great, it? Nice. It, it, you know they they call it they, they they call it the giant tower sometimes. They they call it the great tower, but but it's not the leaning tower, folks. That's that's in Italy. And what evil purposes are you going to advance by learning astrology? <laughs> Step one: We'll look at the stars, and then. St- Step two: World domination. God declared that nothing would restrain them from achieving their evil imaginations. Therefore, he said, let us go down and there confound their languages that they may not understand one another's speech. Genesis 11.7. We made so much fun of the Raelians for talking about how aliens did all this stuff and that it's, but this is absolutely. Well, the Tower of Babel was a rocket ship. But, but the, it was none, a rocket ship. But none of what we just read is a single inch crazier. Than what the what Claude <laughs> Rael talks about, none of or, or other way around, you know, like none of what Claude Rael talked about is a single inch crazier than this. Just after the section about how God created all the languages, we get we actually do get a pretty decent linguistic summary of all the major language families, and that was actually kind of surprising. That that but that wasn't the only thing surprising about these wisdom booklets. They are very well organized. They they are they are very clear. They flow in a in a in a very thoughtful way from one section to the next. It, it is an, it just strike like looking at one after another. And I didn't just look at the recent ones. I looked at the some wisdom booklets that are available that that are there rather that were available all the way back to the eighties. And even then, they are just so clear, so well produced. And now the newest ones are, you know, they're printed on this this glossy paper, this car, this cardstock. They're they're full of illustrations. They they have great typesetting. I mean, the whole thing is very nicely done. And I think all of this lulls you, you know, all of this really, all of this professionalism lulls you into just accepting the information that's being presented because it is so well presented, and. It, it maybe maybe you don't maybe people don't question it as much because the presentation is so well done because and and just after this section about how God created all the languages right after or and, you know on the and and showing all the the connections between these linguistic families right after that it just seamlessly poses the question how did God prepare the world to receive the gospel in the Greek language. And all of this stuff, <laughs> this is one section to the next, as if the, as if their like insane question that God somehow likes Greek is on the same tier as this linguistic information that they've just presented. So they take this legitimate study, this f- the legitimate field of study, and wedge it right in there, right after the Tower of Babel, and then why does God like Greek? And it turns out that God likes Greek so much that he gave Alexander the Great the idea to conquer essentially every part of the world that Alexander had ever heard of so that as a byproduct, he would spread the Greek language pretty much everywhere. This is so much a part of God's plan in the same way as any other just so just so story. Why do giraffes have long necks? Right. Why, so they can I, reach the big, the high fruit, of course. Yeah, exactly. How did the leopard get its spots? And and God, you know, evidently, this is something that is not talked about in the uh, in the wisdom booklet, but God was 
totally cool with the fact that Alexander was also a homosexual pagan and basically just liked the way he talked. I like the way you talk. Well, I like the way you talk. There's also a section in that same booklet about how Jesus was able to size people up so quickly and an associated project so that you can, I guess, somehow learn to see people as clearly as Jesus saw them and peer into their souls. The project goes something like this. The, the whole family is supposed to go to a grocery store, park the car near the entrance and just sit in it and watch people. There's, a, there's also a bonus task to pray for the people while you're observing them. So the next time you go grocery <laughs> shopping, if you just see a- You can get extra if, credit. If you just see an entire family sitting in the car the entire time, like you walk in and you pass them and you come out, they're still there. You might just have stumbled across an ATI family. This is an example <laughs> observation from the booklet. I discerned a young woman walking with immodest clothing who had facial features that were hardened. It is very possible that she has faced hardships and temptations leading to bitterness towards those who wronged her. <laughs> You'd be prettier if you smiled. <laughs> you, you get all of this based just on a person walking by your minivan. You can, you can just tell their whole life story. You can just imagine it however you want. You, you know, like if you're a really harsh religious person, you imagine that they're dressing like that because they're unhappy in life. When I was bored in high school, I would go with my friends to the to the mall and people watch and hey, it was way less judgmental and we were harsh. <laughs> this is a good segue into some of the supplemental materials that Gothard mailed out to ATI families since some of them were heavily focused on modesty and sex. This is from a late 1990s publication that was sent to ATI families called Lessons from Moral Failures in a Family. This is supposed to be something like a case study that they sent out to families. Even though ATI has it had had its own curriculum, it had a strong association, obviously, with IVLP. So IVLP materials or, you know, materials that were were marked as published by IBLP would be sent out to ABLP to ATI families. See, I'm getting mixed up with all these all these letters. The tragedy. The parents were shocked and grieved as social workers visited their home and confirmed reports that an older brother was guilty of sexually abusing younger ones in his family. The damage to the younger children, the ridicule to the cause of Christ, the shame of detailed publicity, and the scars to the life and reputation of the boy were indescribably painful to the family and their friends. The boy did repent of what he had done. Now that time has passed, he was asked the following questions. 1. What were the early indications that you had the problem? 2. What conditions or circumstances contributed to the problem? 3. What steps could your parents have taken before it happened? 4. What could have been done to avoid it? 5. What teaching could have been given to each child to resist evil? 6. What factors in the home contributed to immodesty and temptation? Why why send out this, you know, this this story about a boy who abuses his younger sisters or siblings in the house? It doesn't really say girls. It just says younger children. Why send this out if this wasn't a problem that had already been identified? If people hadn't been reporting this issue, I mean, what is going on in this organization that they felt the need to create an entire booklet to send out to all the families? 
And remember that this was sent to families nearly 10 years before Josh Duggar sexually abused his sisters and their babysitter. Keep in mind that that wasn't even made public at the time that he did it. So this wasn't like there was a big public outcry among this, this high-profile ATI family, the Duggars, and then they, they created this document. That incident occurred in maybe 2005 or so, 2003, but it wasn't even made public until 2015. Signs get put up for, for a reason. Every sign that you see in a bathroom or in institutions is there because somebody did that thing that it's explicitly telling you not to do. Or at a work at a work meeting, you have uh, you have uh, uh, Joe who crashed the forklift, and at the work meeting that's mandatory for all staff, they say, "We're not naming names, but when handling the forklift," and then they go into a, a forklift seminar. We all know what happened. Something happened. It's not just one person. I don't think it's not just one incident and one family that prompted this to happen, because one family. Five families, maybe 10 families, maybe even 20 times. They can say that these are all isolated incidents. But this is happening often enough that they developed, published, and disseminated an entire booklet. You know, I saw in some other IBLP materials that young children should not be allowed to sit on their father's laps because the father might be sexually tempted. Why would you ever say that? Why would you, why would you, why would that even come up? I mean, what is happening in these households? And again, sent out a decade before Josh Duggar and his sisters. I have to wonder, what did ATI already know about some of the kids in their homeschool program? And how many incidents were they actually aware of? How many did they report? I mean, we can't, we can't know this because we already know about this umbrella of protection that they don't trust secular authorities. So they don't report these things. They don't encourage families to report these things. One thing that's really troubling, and I'm, I'm, I'm very happy that the, the whole boarding school project completely flopped because that would have just been an institution to, like, to, to just in, encourage and create sexual trauma in people. All right, this moves us on to some of the content and not so much the context. Already in this document, we can see outright victim blaming. What factors contributed to immodesty and temptation? The like, What teaching could have been given to each child to resist evil? Th this next part is meant to be the boys' written answers to the questions that were raised earlier. Laziness is similar to slothfulness, and both words point to the spirit of doing what I want versus doing what I ought. Or better put for me... Obeying the flesh versus obeying scripture. In my case, it was displayed physically and morally. If a parent sees that his son is showing signs of being lazy, it is highly likely that his son is also struggling in other areas of his life. Idle hands. That, that whole like, uh, like Puritan adage about idle hands doing the devil's work. These are supposed to be the boy's answers to those questions. There, and there is no way that any child wrote that. It is way too perfect. <laughs> but, you know, laziness, like this is the key that they've managed to suss out in this scenario. The absolute most common trait in a teenager is the indicator that there's going to be some that they're going to become a sexual predator. It's more of a line from an old man on his porch. 
Your generation is lazy these days. Right. Yeah. The kids don't respect anything anymore. The, yeah, the, uh, but, but laziness is really, is identified as being one of the earliest warning signs that bad shit's going to happen later on. It, because of its implications, you only get identified as being lazy because there's something that you're, you're technically supposed to be doing that you're not doing. So if you are supposed to empty the dishwasher or sweep the kitchen floor, and you don't get around to it right away, you're lazy. But it also means that in a very small way, you're rebelling against authority. If you rebel against authority here, you're going to rebel against authority someplace else. And you're just going to inch your way, you know, one step at a time outside that umbrella of authority, that umbrella of protection, rather. One day you're not washing your dishes, then next you're committing mass murder. I mean, it's, it's a one-to-one relationship. This is the boy talking again. I was expected to babysit and change diapers, etc. Babysitting gave me the opportunity to offend. Without it, I think it is possible that I might not have offended. I would still have had a problem with the immorality, but I do not think I would have violated my sister in such a way. It's opportunity. That's it. Th- this also speaks to the way that ATI and IBLP and Bill Gothard see the role of males and the way they educate – the way the organizations educate other peoples – the way they – other people. We don't need peoples. <laughs> the, the way those organizations and, and Gothard himself educate other people to see the role of males, that you're, you're going to be fine unless you're tempted. And this is, you know, this, this is that, that biblical reading of temptation that if it wasn't for Adam being tempted in the Garden of Eden, then everything would have been cool. Because evidently, Adam is just a child and he has no resistance whatsoever to anything. So if you show a naked woman to him, he just gets an erection and starts walking into a wall. There's nothing he can do. You know, it's a, it's a chimp with pornography. It comes back to that total lack of responsibility through total lack of control. Everything is out of your control. It's somebody else's fault. And so all the problems that, that males face as far as, you know, the way that, that Gothard and, you know, IBLP and ATI see it have to do with these environmental issues. If I didn't see immodesty in my world, then I wouldn't become aroused. And it's back to that same stuff that, that I found about how young, young children shouldn't sit on a father's lap because he might be sexually tempted. What, what kind of like sexual monster are they, are they trying to cater to here? And when we have a direct causal relationship between babysitting and molestation, that's insanity. That's the lesson that they're trying to teach here is that, oh, you know, you see the issue here with the molestation is that you ask the boy to babysit his younger siblings. And you know, everybody knows you can't ask a teenager to be around young children. It's madness. I want to go back to my own experience working in children's treatment facilities, though. You, do, you almost never get a kid who has been has perpetrated any sort of sexual abuse on anybody younger without having without that that child having also been a victim at some point in, in his or her life. I can absolutely believe that. Every one of those kids had some story about something that happened to them years before they ever did anything to anybody else. All right, this is this is back to the boys' answers. Mom did not push the modesty unless we were in public, 
and Dad only had the opportunity to mention it during weekends. Little, little people do not realize their nakedness right away. It takes several years before they grasp it. It needs to be taught to them. My mom is a nurse, and the human body was not a big deal to her. I guess she didn't want it to be for her children either. She and I have talked about it. She explained to me that she had no idea how visual male sexuality is compared to women who were compared to women who are mainly by touch. I am so grateful my parents have changed so much of this area in our home. Again, no child wrote this. There's no contraction. Why wouldn't he write I'm so grateful? Why would it be I am so grateful? I mean, is this data? <laughs> you beat me to the joke. I was going to say data. This next part is from the mother's point of view. When my daughter had indicated something was going on and the son denied it, I had no evidence. I thought if I put some fear into him, if it did happen, he would not do anything again. That is not true. The temptation can become an addiction and works like other addictions. No evidence. The daughter told her and she's saying that she has no evidence. And the next thing that I didn't notice before, she says, when my daughter had indicated something was going on, my daughter and the son, not my son. Whenever referring to dildos, we do not use the. <laughs> <laughs> we do not use the possessive your dildo. It is always we use the, the dildo. The dildo. <laughs> <laughs> After all of the, after reading all of this, this is one of the most horrific things, one of the most horrific documents I've read, because ATI has really just figured out how to create a factory to manufacture sociopaths. You know, people who have no sense of responsibility or remorse or emotion. They they they're being taught not to empathize with the with the 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 people that they victimized, and instead. Everything is depersonalized. And even the document says it. The son denied it. Whose son is this? Somebody else's son? <laughs> the the Lord himself? Is he part of it? Yeah, the, Jesus denied it. One, one of the worst <laughs> effects of this Gothard viewpoint on sexual abuse is that IBLP and ATI conflate the idea of sexual abuse with their concept of sin. So... There are no victims here. It's just a matter of somebody sinning. And the only the only focus for our for the sin is going to be the person the person who committed the sin. And again, the victims in this situation, they get very little attention. It's all about this boy who sinned. So he's the one where all the focus gets placed. The victims are ornaments on the tree of sinfulness. It's just, it's just your, you know, they're, they're just the environmental temptation. They're not actually people. And so it's hard to see how the rest of this wouldn't have the effect of completely isolating an ATI, ATI family from social support. Because back to that umbrella of protection, you don't seek out secular counseling. That might actually help. Unsurprisingly... Considering all the things that he's wrought in his life, Bill Gothard himself was eventually removed from his leadership role at IBLP in 2014, so one year before Josh Duggar made his public apology about molesting his preteen sisters. 
Bill Gothard was removed from the leadership role after multiple women came forward with accusations that he had sexually harassed and or sexually assaulted them. And later in 2016, a group of now 34 women, it started out with 10, now it's 34, including all the women from the earlier group, jointly filed a lawsuit alleging the same things and additionally that IBLP leadership later tried to cover it up. From the Washington Post. The lawsuit in DuPage County Circuit Court in Illinois, where IBLP's headquarters is located, charges that IBLP, its employees and board members, received reports of sexual abuse, sexual harassment, and inappropriate-slash-unauthorized touching from women and girls. But the women allege the defendants never reported the potentially criminal allegations to law enforcement authorities or the Illinois Department of Children and Family Services as required by state law. At the time, some of these girls were underage as well. You know, or rather, some of these women who filed the lawsuit were underage at the time that these incidents occurred. Long story short, no criminal charges were brought against Gothard, and his, accu- his accusers voluntarily dismissed the lawsuit. However, they were very clear that they were not recanting any of their allegations and continued to believe that he did great harm to them. The reason that, the, that there were no criminal charges is that, me, that all of these events were well outside of the statutes of limitations. And that was also a, an enormous hiccup with the lawsuit itself. With 34 women, we're talking about a quantity of people who are making these allegations, which now we don't really have the opportunity to see them play out in terms of being convicted or not convicted in the court of law. But like Bill Cosby, when you have that many allegations, there's no way, there's just no way that a huge chunk, if not every single one of them is true. And their lawsuit wasn't dismissed. It was withdrawn because they realized that it was going to be an uphill struggle to to continue it, and it would probably not result in the in an outcome that they that they that they were desiring. You know, all of these plaintiffs. It did have the the result of removing him from his leadership role. IBLP realized that he was too hot to handle at that point, so they had to get rid of him. But some of these allegations are absolutely heinous. One woman alleges that Gothard raped her in an elevator. The uh, the others, like some of the others, they, they seem more mild, but they're they're mild in the sense of a 15-year-old having this creepy old man, Bill Gothard, come up behind and like start leaning in and like rubbing her shoulders and sniffing her hair and whispering in her ear about how beautiful she is and how special she is. That's the kind of shit he was pulling. All all of that very stereotypical grooming behavior. Yeah, and these are the women who came forward. That's that's an important that's an important point for everybody to remember who's listening. That there there very well could have been as ma- easily as many who didn't come forward because they they they're still in this world. They're still in this life. Think about all the social pressures that are weighing on you. Think about everything you have to lose as far as your peer group. If you come out and say that everybody's hero molested you or raped you or just sexually harassed you even. You know, what do you have to lose by saying that stuff? There are so many things against against you saying anything ever about the about what you may have experienced. Bill Gothard is easily one of the biggest creeps that well he probably is 
the biggest creep that that I've read about since we started doing the show. Thank you for listening to another premium episode of Wetwired. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at WetwiredPod. We also have a Discord server. Hint, hint. Go to Discord. You can find the link in the show notes and at wetwired.net. You can also help us out by following us and sharing the show on social. Our DMs are open for tips if there's a story out there you'd like to hear us tell. That God made us with defects or God allowed the defects to come? And I would quickly say, well, God allowed us. God created us perfect. He allowed these defects to come. However, that's not what teenagers are asking. Teenagers are asking a very profound question. They're saying, if God is really a God of love, could not he have made children so that the sins of the parents would not in any way affect the children? God could have made us that way, but he didn't. So it is that the sins of the parents are passed on to the children.